It's about observing and then knowing ourselves so well that we can then understand what's going on from this belief system, this values context, and then making choices from there. Hey there, this is Bev and I'll be the host of People at Work today. People at Work is brought to you by Jostle, the creator of an employee intranet. And at Jostle, we are creating technology that helps employees be connected to their workplace, to share in their workplace culture and find all the information that they need at work. And while we're building that piece of technology, we're also thinking about the things that are actually impacting the employee experience at work. And that's why we're having these conversations on our podcast to really talk to people who are either leading the charge or studying these topics or really leading businesses themselves and building their own cultures. So I'm really excited to bring another episode of People at Work to you today. And our guest today is Jane Scudder. Jane is a leadership expert and coach who leverages corporate anthropology to support organizations and individuals. She's the founder of a leadership development firm called The New Exec that supports organizations really understand the needs of their employees. And today, Jane will help us understand what corporate anthropology actually is and how it helps us understand people and workplaces. So welcome, Jane. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me on, Bev, and that really lovely and warm introduction. Oh, you're more than welcome. And I'm really interested in this conversation today because I had not actually heard the phrase corporate anthropology before until you reached out to us. And uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to digging in and learning a lot today. So why don't we jump right in and get you to give us a, just a brief intro to your background and then yeah. we'll lead into what uh, this nutshell of corporate anthropology actually is. Yeah, what this thing is. Great. Um, yeah, so my, my background, as you said, I, I work in leadership, uh, personal, professional, organizational development. I've been running my firm, the new exec, for the past five and a half years or so. Uh, in addition to this, I've taught at a university here in Chicago for a bit. I have worked in culture building and marketing management at a corporate level at Fortune 100s and startups. Um, and before all this, my academic background was in cultural studies, specifically anthropology and sociology. And that's actually been the common thread of all my work, believe it or not. And it feels so obvious to me, but, but not always obvious to others. So I love talking about this because for me, the, the roots of social dynamics and culture and behavior really comes to life in ways in all realms of business, from branding to obviously corporate culture, to how teams can operate and connect with each other more effectively for their own good and their customers good and their shareholders good and all that. And so that we as individuals can really be at our best and understand who we are at our core. So how all these worlds collide, that's, that's, that's who I am and that's what my passion is. And that is what I do with my group and individual clients and I guess what we're going to be talking about all today. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I, I guess I'd, I'd ask you how you came to understand that what we're seeing around social anthropology can actually be applied in the world of business. Yeah. How, how did that happen for you? A couple of, a couple of different ways, some obvious, 
some obvious to others and not me that had to be pointed out to me, just the you know beauty of observation, right? Getting outside of our own head. Um, so when I studied anthropology back in, in, in school, this is undergrad, this is, um, I loved studying other cultures, yes. But I would always turn back, even in my early 20s, to you know, my existence in the United States, in the Western world. And I would think to myself, I, I want to, at some point, be in business in some capacity. I'm not sure how. I didn't want to go into academia, and then I did teach for a bit. Um, and it was obvious to me. It was like, well, the same principles that we use to study other cultures, we can study ourselves. And this is, you know, before corporate, corporate culture really became the thing that it is today. It was, it was obvious for me. And my thesis at the end of my fourth year of college was on reciprocity at work. And the idea that exchange systems happen um, in the workplace, whether they're intentional or not, that's the reality. You know, think about promotion cycles, talent management, spot bonuses, just if you accept a meeting or don't accept a meeting, if you send an invite or you ask somebody else to, this is all reciprocity, right? And you can study this from a cultural framework. And it's not going to give you a formula to, you know, make a million dollars, be the best leader, like, whatever. But it gives you information. And that information can then set you on a really strong path to be a good leader, be really human, and ultimately drive and work towards the goals of your organization. So let, let me ask you a question then around how does understanding an anthropological framework actually help us understand people and maybe one step further, workplace culture? Yeah, really good question. So I'll, I'll back up and I'll even say the way that I look at corporate anthropology, business anthropology, it's, it's using those principles of cultural anthropology and apply them to the workplace, right? And that's really fundamental because anthropology is about observation, right? And looking at peoples as, as they are, their values, their belief systems, their patterns, their reward systems, their reciprocity, and much, much more. So rather than saying, here's what we want them to be, or here's what we hypothesize is going on, we're, we're purely observing. And early anthropologists would partake in what's called participant observation, where they would go into different cultures and through different you know, uh, uh, ways, they would kind of become integrated um, the best that they could, right? There's some back and forth of how integrated an outsider can always become into a culture. And, and then from there, they would watch and learn and participate and observe and from there help track and put together those patterns to reveal different meaning and that's something that teams can do and the application part here that i think is so brilliant is you know what leaders jump to is is fixing and taking action right we have a problem we want to fix it mm -hmm. that's great but when we jump too quickly collectively as humans into this fixing mode we are skipping over this important step of observing what is here, really understanding what that tells us, deciding maybe there's some good things to keep from having culture otherwise, and, and then from the starting point of what really is here, making decisions and taking action from that place. And, and I, I'll give some examples in, in, in a bit of how this shows up in defining and changing corporate culture but it's the backbone of observation, really looking at things as they are 
and you know, looking to understand meaning from there as opposed to seeing what we want to see. So Jane, I'm curious, knowing what we know about observation as a key component of anthropology, how do we help, let's say, a manager who is in an organization who is dealing with the problem and trying to understand the root cause of that problem? How do we help that individual go from observing into action? Because I think a lot of people get stuck in the observe realm and they don't know how to move to action. What advice do you have for that person? This is a beautiful question. This is a really core and key part of this work. And it's when the work begins to expand beyond simply observation to using in other using other parts of the discipline, namely values and belief systems. So if it's a manager, an individual, a team leader, whatever, they're, they're observing a problem, uh, a team dynamic, anything, right? As they're observing this, right, they're being really curious, they're stepping back, whatever that means for them, um, if they're doing it internally, they're a third party, whatever. The other thing that we want to now infuse into this in parallel is what they're observing and how those things relate to the team, the organization, the two-person you know, two interaction, their shared value system, right? So anthropology is about observation and, and learning and studying, and it's also then making sense of these things through value systems and shared beliefs. And all teams, all organizations, all families, all romantic couples have values, right? And begin to create these collective systems of things that matter to them. And, and Stepping back and looking at what we can then do with values from an organizational and cultural context, it's, it's really rich and there's a lot to do here. Um, I'll start by saying, for me, values are anything that matters to us, right? Um, freedom, respect, uh, openness, you know, these are great things. Um, I like to challenge teams and leaders to get really clear on what their values are, but not just kind of look at these pretty words that they think they're supposed to value, but really clarify, then here's where the observation comes in, really clarify like what really matters to us and what do these words mean? And th that's really important for those managers to have in their back pocket to really understand their shared value systems because when there is a conflict, right? Now we have those values in our, in our left hand, so to speak, now the manager is observing a conflict or they're observing some system or dynamic. They can observe this. And then as they're getting curious and noticing it, they can say, huh, okay, there's a friction point here. Two people are at odds or two teams are at odds. Or there's someone's not getting this work, something, right? All of those friction points, what that really means is there is a value conflict going on. One of those shared values is not being honored or two of those shared values are not existing in a harmonious way or one person or one team is over prioritizing one value as compared to the other right so it's about observing and then knowing ourselves so so well that we can then understand what's going on from this belief system this values context and then making choices from there and i, I can tell you about making those choices as the next action step but I, I want to be aware that if this is new to people, it can become confusing. And I want to pause for any questions and reactions. Yeah, I think if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, the context in which you're operating is incredibly important. 
because that sets the tone around understanding those shared values and understanding the norms and rituals of behaviors, mm -hmm. which should give us those hints as to how you should be behaving or the types of decisions you should be making or yeah. the relationships that you should be building within your yep. organization. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I guess a, a follow-on question I would have for you is, um, from an anthropological perspective, um, how do values actually evolve? And mm. what responsibility do leaders have in um, setting the tone and the direction for how those values evolve? Or do they not evolve? Are they just there and they're there whether you like it or not? Oh, Ben, you're asking like the million dollar corporate culture question, which is fabulous. And frankly, not enough companies and organizations and leaders ask themselves enough. And I think the answer, unfortunately, is like, a, yes, all of these things. And it's also the, the decision collectively at the group and, you know, empowering people to make that decision. Um, so let's break this down. I'm hearing a couple things. One is about broadly culture ad versus culture fit, which we can address. One is, um, is it possible for things to evolve? And one is how can people reconcile that? Um, does culture evolve? Do values change? I believe yes, right? Things are living, breathing, nothing is static in this world, individually, professionally, you know, societally. Um, that's my opinion, maybe others disagree. Th that's an important thing that companies need to decide what their opinion on is, and, and this is where it gets a little, a little into like HR hiring policy, and I'll get a little philosophical for a second, and I know you should have been <laughs> philosophical, but th there's a bigger question that I don't know if you've talked to anyone about um, on the podcast, but listeners may be aware of it. Regarding corporate culture, there's a, there's a question going on, been going on, like, do companies want people to come work for and with them who are going to be a culture fit versus a culture ad? Do you know the difference between culture fit and culture ad? Um, I've got my own opinions on those two okay. parts. It's not a trick. No, go ahead. Um, so from a Jostle perspective, uh, you know, we certainly take the position that every person contributes something to our culture and yeah. makes us better for it, for their contribution. However, they, from a fit point of view, um, it's more for us about can they operate and be passionate about our values mm. collectively or not. So that's really, for us, it's not about a fit as in, you know, does everyone want to, you know, huddle around the beer tap on Friday afternoons mm -hmm. or play ping pong? Like, that's not what we think about when we talk about fit. Um, so for us, it's a bit of both. I've definitely heard uh, strong opinions uh, about both sides. Um, yeah. and some companies take the fit approach and some take the ad approach. I think over time and as, you know, workplaces are changing and leaders are changing, I think we're probably moving more towards the ad side of things than we are to the fit side. I, I don't know what you're seeing out in the marketplace or with your customers. I completely agree. I really admire the way that Drossel approaches this. And I, I would say that's candidly like a, a, a beacon approach, right? I'm so curious to learn more about how that actually comes to life, right? Because there, we, companies have pre-existing values, right? And we, we know that, we, that the way that a family does. And then if uh, one person ha brings a new spouse partner in, like that, that, can, that can shift things. That's lovely, right? Um, but 
you know, culture ad is ultimately a relatively new concept. And some companies will be very you know, transparent about the fact that they're still worried about fit. Um, I think that's so limiting. Um, but it's, it's hard to strike this right balance, right? You know, if you have these pre-established values that have defined your company for X period of time or have drawn your customer base or created the brand and it's working and, and it, it, people really resonate with it, um, you know, the, the, the million dollar question is how to retain that appropriately, the best parts of it, while still ultimately being open to, to, to change. Um, and I, I bring up culture fit and culture ad here thinking about, do our values change? How do they change? How can leaders be constantly aware of this um, and open to this if they choose to? It's, it's starting with that, that concept of what are we looking for collectively? Are we a culture fit or culture ad organization? Um, I'm with you that culture, you know, it's, it's, it's the blend and we're absolutely moving towards a culture ad workplace. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not like uh, would-be you know, job seekers are just kind of banding together and creating their own companies, right? They're still applying to existing companies that have values that are attracting them. So it becomes this art of upholding those values while staying open to change. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, and, you know, we see that in... A, in bigger brands and more well-known cultures, they are known for certain things and that's why people are attracted to them. And right. they lead and they operate their businesses very much in alignment with those values and uh, right. or how they want to be perceived as a brand. So, and then you get the question of, well, how can you not operate under a culture fit methodology, right? Because if you look at a company like Apple, which is, mm -hmm. you know, in my opinion, a very elegant brand that is mm -hmm. innovative and that uh, requires people to be attuned to quality and being at the leading edge of creating new things. Um, if you are not that kind of person, you can't fit in that culture, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think it's a very delicate and difficult conversation, it actually. Is. It because, is, exactly right. Because you also can't have a cookie cutter um, approach, which sometimes is how people approach the fit um, conversation, where you don't want everyone to have the same opinion because you can't make progress if everyone thinks the same. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, th I think you've got to peel away a few layers and actually understand what you mean when you say fit. And, and here's where, yes, keep going, sorry, okay, yeah. And yeah, and, and just one more thing, which I, th I think is, is very relevant to our current circumstances. Another danger of the fit approach is you yeah. employ this unconscious bias around totally. who you're hiring and what does that mean for your culture and the, the richness and the depth of the types of people who are in your business. So I, I think it's, it's, it's very relevant for the current times for anyone who's in a hiring role to be thinking about mm -hmm. what their actual position is on fit um, right. because it's dangerous. It's a dangerous slippery slope, I think. It's extremely risky. It's extremely risky. Not even because it's like stagnant and then you're going to, you know, not offer great value to your customers. It's like you, you will begin to be harming people if we're not thinking about this proactively. And this is where, and I, I don't want to, like it all roads lead back to observation and curiosity and cultural studies, but in, in a way they do because, you know, the gut check of like, wait, let's, let's actually observe how we are first before we react or make changes. That's really important. You know, one of the things, whether, whether we're talking about 
our stance on culture fit or culture ad, or if a company um, is trying to define their five or seven top culture values, wherever they are in that stage, I think what tends to happen, not always, but I see organizations immediately jumping to, here's who we want to be. And they start there. And in my opinion, that is skipping a step, a really important step of looking at who we are today, mm-hmm. right? Because, and this happened, I, I, I feel a lot, especially as the, the attributes of technology companies really started to seep into other organizations in a good way, right? Like that, they, would, they would be taken on um, by other lines of businesses and other types of companies. But what happened was a funny thing, right? Non-tech companies or companies that would say, no, we, we are tech too. They would start to name these attributes that, you know, Apple and Amazon and Google, you know, shout from the rooftops and companies would say, we want to be that. that, that's who we will aspire to. Let's become that in our culture. And it's, it's wacky and wild to me because number one, that might actually be in conflict with who the company is mm-hmm. and how the company needs to show up to do the best work and attract the best talent and serve their customers and create this ecosystem effectively for their, you know, everyone who's involved with them. So I think that stepping back and considering who are we today, looking at those values, and then from there saying, great, is this right? Is this what we aspire to be doing? You know, how do our reward systems play up? What do we actually value? Do, do we say that, you know, what our values are, are those things being honored day to day? That's the first step in all of this. Um, and I think looking at, you know, so the, the question here is, is an organization a culture fit or a culture ad company from an HR, from a people functional perspective? That's a really important value, I'd say, that companies need to clarify and clarify what it means to them. And then from there, they can cascade out strategies. Yeah, you, you raise an interesting source of conflict, I think, there around uh, what you want to be versus what you are. Yeah. And I think that there's some emphasis that we need to place on authenticity in this process. And, um, you know, aspiring to be something is is healthy and, and good and productive. Um, but you also have to be honest with yourself about what you what you can actually be based on the starting point that you have. And, um, you know, maybe if you're company X, it's, it's just not a reasonable thing for you to aspire to be um, Tesla or Amazon. I, I think that a lot of companies fall into the trap of looking outside and trying mm-hmm. to be something else instead of actually embracing and saying, well, this is who we authentically are and we will grow our business to become the best version of ourselves. Absolutely. Um, so I don't know how, like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I completely agree. And that's what I think that, that that's the biggest misstep that I think companies make when they, when, when not the, it's a big step that companies miss when they're doing any cultural work, whether it's a, a defining cultural values, examining them, anything. Um, another one, just to, to pile on to see one, that, to, to share one that I see equally is, you asked me a second ago, and I unintentionally did not answer, you know, where does culture come from? Is it top down? Is it what? You know, it comes from a lot of places, but 
regardless of how a company started, if the CEO founder is still in place, if it's a hundred year old organization, whatever, the attributes, right? The, the values, these are, these are qualities, right? These are adjectives, the attributes that represent culture more often than not, if you bubble those up, you are describing the CEO or the C-suite in a couple of adjectives, right? Said differently, culture often comes with the personality of the CEO, of the founder, right? That can be a good starting point. And it can also make a lot of C-suite individuals uncomfortable because they're like, oh, I don't want to be personified in the culture. Well, that's kind of what happens, right? You're, you're on the shots here. But it's a good starting place because, you know, you can then look at those attributes and say, like, great, is this right? Is this what we say we are? Is this what we do value? Is this how we're showing up? Um, I know a lot of leaders want their culture to be this bottom-up approach. It, it has to be a little bit of both, right? Because if the, the leaders in charge are not going to commit and connect to those attributes, right? It's not going to work. Equally, the people who are, are, are doing day-to-day -day functional things, they also have to connect to it. So it's a little bit of both, right? Meeting halfway. Um, but, you know, big question is where do we start? And through observation, um, whether it's internal or with an outside body, right? Uh, the, the values, the attributes that tend to come up and be representative of what the company values do tend to be consistent with the executive leader's personalities. I'm glad you raised that because I was going to ask you something along those lines around the responsibility of leaders in, in setting and forming um, workplace culture. And it's not perhaps fair to place the burden of responsibility on their shoulders entirely, but it is almost impossible for a company to develop and define and meaningfully nurture a culture that starts at the bottom right so i guess that calls into question what are the types of leaders that we need today to be creating mm. healthy businesses that are future oriented and that can take us out of some of the problems that we've seen in history around business practices you know poor agents who are operating um, selfishly as leaders um, so what's your, what's your opinion on some of the qualities that leaders need to have today to take us into the future as it relates to work? If the culture fit culture ad was a million dollar question, this is like the billion. Of <laughs> right. no, and, and, and I say that a little cheekily, but it's also, it's the truth. And I'm, I'm going to give just as unfair of an answer. Um, this is a really personal question. And when people, like when people ask, what, what are the qualities that I should be looking for in you know, bringing on a, a, a founder or you know, someone to take on the CTO role or something? Like, no one can tell you that. That is such a personal thing. But when I work with individual executives, leaders, business owners, and they're trying to establish what they should be personally hanging their hat on or what qualities they should be leaning into effectively to become a more effective people champion, leader, salesperson, whatever, right? I always say that, that just being more of yourself will actually make you a more effective leader, right? Not trying to change who you are, but 
taking it into account, right here, uh, I, I think of it as like the visual, I think of my clients, we're going to dump everything out onto the desk and we're going to sort through it, make sense of it, throw some things away and really decide our, our favorite things. Like sort through, you know, your, your own five, 10 top core values, pick the five that really feel both resonant to you and relevant and meaningful in the organizational and social landscape today. And then like lean into those that, you know, people can smell a phony. People can smell when you're trying to exhibit some value that you don't actually believe in. Um, this is going to feel like a total tangent, but I, I will bring it back. I promise. Um, <laughs> I remember years ago when I was working at an organization internally and I was in my twenties and it was a bring your children to work day. And I had been around children a lot my whole life, but, but not, it, it, it was very different. And I watched so many of my peers and my team and my uh, superiors interacting with our kids. And I, I, the biggest takeaway that I had Bev, was, oh my gosh, like, people just become more of themselves as parents. I, I was expecting to like see different versions of everyone, but I was almost seeing everyone like times 10. <laughs> and I draw that and I bring that up now because the same thing happens with leaders, right? We just become more of ourselves. Yeah, maybe like in, in stress moments, we can become distorted versions of ourselves. Let that be who you are as a leader and lean into it. And that's how you become a more effective one. And that's how, you know, you can then figure out which organizations, you know, you can add real value to, hopefully in that culture add capacity where you and I both think that the world is going. So in closing on our um, podcast here today, we've seen a lot of change happen in our own communities and around the world as it relates to the pandemic. We've all had to make significant changes in how we've been working. And from a societal point of view, we've seen quite recently the confronting realities of the race issues that need to be addressed. So, and those impact workplaces as well and people in workplaces. So, the question I'd have for you to close off here today is um, where do you see us going in terms of the shifts that are happening in workplaces? And you were talking earlier about observation being a key part of the anthropological framework. Um, what do you think we're going to observe in the coming months and years around changes to workplaces and how we work together, given what we've all come through? Yeah, what it, it it's a great question and there's so many tentacles and paths we could take it down. But I think in the, at its core, right. And the purest part of this is the same, the same moment of self-reflection that we are all presently being faced with, right. That we should be facing. I would go ahead and vote and say, um, that's going to enter into organizations. It's already happening, right? There's a moment of reckoning, hopefully, that, that, that's really happening. And it's been long overdue. And, you know, it's, it's happening. So let's look at our kind of hierarchical pyramid of a company, right? The executive team at the top, the individuals at the very bottom. Um, and we were talking earlier how culture cannot come from the very bottom, um, nor from the very top. It has to be that both. Same thing here, right? So we're each going through our own moments of reckoning personally as we're in quarantine and going through these uh, hopefully really hard and important conversations about racial justice. Organizations 
that's now the top of that pyramid, are thinking about this as well. So it's going to have to then permeate the middle. And that's where mid-managers, department heads, um, individual team leaders can be doing the same thing. And I think it all goes back to self-reflection and observation, right? What are you rewarding and punishing? Who's on your team? How, how do you assign projects? You just really get curious about what is the system that you are presently working in, whether you run an apartment of 300 people, a team of three people, or you're working on your own, right? Applying that same ob uh, reflection to your day-to-day, -day, I think that's, gonna, that's not going to stop. It's going to become a much bigger thing collectively um, as we continue to hopefully evolve socially and, and professionally. Yeah, thank you. I think what, uh, what I'm hearing is keep your eyes open and don't be afraid to act once you've got the information you need mm. to take the next step to improve, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one relationship or uh, your company as a whole. And as we know, when we have healthy people and we have healthy organizations, there is a ripple effect into society more broadly. So it's a very worthy activity to undertake. So... Well, uh, that uh, brings us to the close of our time together here. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, best way to learn more about the organization, the new exec is thenewexec.com. Uh, and best way to learn more about me, get a hold of, of me directly is over at janescudder.com. Uh, email just jane at janescudder.com, always open and always uh, open to connect and chat with individuals on this or any other topic. Excellent. Well, thank you for helping me understand what corporate anthropology is. And I know that I have a few things to think about and, and just be more aware of and to be on the lookout for in my own organization. And I'm certain that our listeners would have had the same experience. So thank you. Thanks so much, Pat. Really appreciate it. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.